0: You know, for the past few months, we have particularly been in the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, as Jesus is speaking to, interestingly, a crowd very similar to this, sitting on a hillside and being outdoors, he is he is helping these people understand who God is, who they are, and God's... Righteous and holy expectations from the Word of God. And it is, it is an, it's an impacting series. It's an impacting sermon as we are personally, I hope, individually confronted with the truth of God's Word about what it means for our lives. And here, Jesus is just teaching his disciples in particular, but he's teaching a larger crowd of people as well. And he's he's telling them, "This, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God. This is the life that you will are to live in the kingdom of God. And as we study this sermon again this morning, in particular the passage that we're going to look at, uh, this, this, pa- this passage, as all passages do, but this passage in particular has, has a significant and I think essential, critical point to make Conversation that we have to have because of the society, the culture, the world in which we live in today. So, look with me, if you would, in Matthew 5, and just two verses this morning. In his sermon, Jesus says this verse 31. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The flower fades and the grass withers. The word of God stands forever. Now, this morning we have come to this illustration in this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what what a I said a critical topic this is for our, our day. And, and I'm grateful, I'm grateful as I've studied. This particular passage for men like William Hughes and D.A. Carson and Sinclair Ferguson and John Stott in particular for their helpful and insightful commentaries that I was able to draw from on these verses. I have learned from them. I'm borrowing from these men because the issue of adultery, divorce, and remarriage impacts our society so greatly today. And yet many in our society, in our culture, are not concerned with God's perspective on this topic. So pray with me. Father, help us to be concerned for this topic and to be impacted by these words. Even with marriages that are doing well, Lord, May these words still reach our hearts this morning and challenge us. May these words bring an authoritative transformation to our marriages that we might live for your glory in the way and manner in which we live with our spouses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these six illustrations by Jesus greatly contrast what the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching. Jesus is dealing with their false interpretation of the law by showing them the law's true and inner meaning. In each example in these six illustrations, he gives the popular view first taught by the scribes and Pharisees, and then he proceeds to correct their sinful misuse and sinful interpretation of of the these words and this is why he repeatedly says that you have heard but I say you have heard but I say and that is what we see here in verse 31 it was also said but I say to you in reading this passage now it's understandable For us to assume that Jesus' primary focus is solely on adultery, divorce, and remarriage. But that assumption would be inaccurate. The Bible's teaching on these issues, the Bible's teaching on adultery and divorce and remarriage cannot be properly understood apart from its teaching on marriage, that we would understand what God's perspective on marriage is. And so it's essential that we interpret this passage with other passages on marriage that we see in the Scripture and keep that in mind. Now, I, I was born in 1955. and all my years of elementary and middle and high school, I could count on one hand how many kids I knew whose parents were divorced. The dissolution of of marriage was rare in my world. It was rare to visit a friend whose parents were not living in the same home. But today, that has dramatically changed. In most circles, and I want to use this phrase today again and again again, to impact us all on how God sees marriage. And in most circles, the sanctity of marriage no longer exists. And the word sanctity simply defined as the quality or condition of being considered sacred or inviolable. In other words, marriage is considered sacred. And in God's eyes, It was meant to be inviolable. It was meant to last forever. Today, the biblical view of marriage and family is under assault. Both are viewed as institutions that are oppressive to women and also both are viewed as the reason for many of society's ills. Kate Millett, in her 1970 book called Sexual Politics, maintains that the family unit must go because it is the family that is oppressed and enslaved women. And British physician David Graham Cooper, just a few years later, wrote in his book, Death of the Family, he suggests that the best thing society can do is abolish the family altogether. Now, to abolish the family... Marriage must first be destroyed. And it's not surprising that decades after these books were written, marriage is no longer sacred in many people's eyes. And remaining married, even less so. Everything from cohabitation to same-sex marriage is now normal, and each assault the truth about why God created marriage and all that he intends for our marriage. It's no wonder, it's no wonder then why Jesus in this verse, in Matthew five, thirty-one and 32, addresses God's view on marriage because similar to our culture, the Jews of Jesus' day, typified by the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to, they developed their own standard for marriage and for divorce and remarriage, which they erroneously taught as God's standards. And so to fully grasp the, the content of Jesus' teaching in this passage, we're also going to look at two other passages this morning, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, through and Matthew 19, 1-8. And that, they will help us understand and rightly interpret this passage, because it's in these three passages what we're going to see, and, and the three points, if you're taking notes. Number one is Moses' view of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Secondly, we're going to see the scribes and Pharisees' view of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And thirdly, we're going to see Jesus' view of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So what was Moses' view on marriage? Well, Deuteronomy 24 helps us understand that. But we must understand the reason this law came into being. The treatment of women in ancient Israel was abhorrent. To the Lord. As God's covenant people, they knew God had created marriage. They had the scriptures and they knew his standards for marriage. They knew the only way a marriage ended was by natural death, or if a man or woman committed adultery, they would be stoned to death. So, in essence, the only way a marriage ended in in ancient Israel was to be by death. But over time, the sanctity of marriage was lost. And now at this, at this stage in Deuteronomy 24, at that stage, a husband could at any moment tell his wife, I- I'm done with you. This, this marriage is over and literally throw her out on the street for any reason. Deuteronomy 24, the Lord has Moses institute this law. Verse 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again because she's been defiled. That's an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring this sin upon the land that the Lord has given you for your inheritance. Contrary to false teaching of feminism, God sees men and women equal in worth and value. He did not create a system designed to enslave or oppress women, which we read about right here, which men were doing at that time. Sin destroyed the roles of husband and wife. Sin destroyed the marriage relationship. It destroyed the harmony and the peace and, and all that God intended for marriage to be that he had created men and women for and now instead what we have is conflict and unfaithfulness and divorce which has become common and the sanctity of marriage that was established in Genesis 2 was lost it was it was just falling by the wayside here in ancient Israel. And so God institutes this law so that women could not just be thrown out the door. He's making a a law to protect women in this passage. Husbands just threw their wives out on the streets simply because they wanted someone else. I'm just tired of you. So go. Just leave and and that is what was happening. And so in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, God has Moses institute this law to protect women and to protect the sanctity of marriage because these people had lost their way. Now, even with this law, you ha- we have to understand God never was not condoning or commanding divorce, but simply making a concession to protect the marriage institution, and the women due to unrestrained sin. It made dissolving the marriage much harder. It provided a way for a woman not to end up destitute and on the street without any hope, and it still kept in view God's original intention for marriage until death do us part. This certificate of divorce was hard to get. It was you had to have witnesses who would attest to the indecency of the wife. Now, Scripture never defines what indecency is, and we don't know. But we know it's not adultery because at this time, if a wife committed adultery, she was to be stoned to death. So God, in, in concession to, to humanity's rampant sin, makes this merciful law to protect women, and to guard the institution of marriage. To make divorce hard. To make it hard for a man to just throw his wife out on the street. God is protecting what he has created. And, and it, is, it is necessary for him to do so. And so that's, that's what Moses' view of marriage and divorce and remarriage right here in Deuteronomy 24. It, it, is, it is to be protected at all costs. But the reality is divorce happens. Relationships because of sin break down. And rather than just destroying society as a whole, let's protect the women. Let's protect the institution of marriage. That's Moses's view. But now we need to see what the scribes and Pharisees' view of marriage is, because they had a different view. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So there we see Deuteronomy 24. But I say to you, so Jesus is now stepping up even further. He's raising the bar even higher. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, once because, once, which was then the death penalty, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The scribes and Pharisees took this law in Deuteronomy 24 that Moses had instituted, and they messed it up big time. Centuries later, these scribes and Pharisees interpret and manipulate this law to meet their own sinful desires just as the men in ancient Israel did the same thing. They, these scribes and Pharisees, they used the law to divorce their wives in order to appear righteous. In other words, I don't, I still, I don't like my wife, and I have no real reason to divorce her, but I'm just going to give her a certificate of divorce because that follows Deuteronomy 24, and I'm obeying the law of Moses, and what a righteous man that I am. I look I look so good cuz I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. They use the law to divorce their wives for any trivial reason. She snores at night. She burnt my breakfast. Out she goes. And in doing this, they thought they did look righteous. Now, in Matthew 19, which helps us understand this verse, the Pharisees and the scribes are testing Jesus. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful To divorce one's wife for any cause. Now, they're looking back at Deuteronomy 24. They're looking back at what they interpreted, and they're asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh whatever therefore God has joined together let not man separate and They said to him well then why why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And he said to them, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so we understand how Deuteronomy 24 came about. It, was, it came about because of the hardness of heart. And here we see in, in Matthew 19, these scribes and Pharisees had totally manipulated and misinterpreted the law. So now they're saying, can, can they, I divorce my wife for any cause? Because Moses commanded me to do it. And Moses did not command them to do it, and Moses did not say for any cause. He said for indecency. And so you see how the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching the people, and it has been, it has been destroying marriage. It has been destroying the sanctity of marriage and family. They wrongly interpreted and missed the whole point of Deuteronomy 24 and completely lost sight of God's view on marriage and divorce and remarriage and we see that further in other passages particularly in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2 is a is a it's a powerful and it is a it is a stunning verse when we understand how it applies to our marriages. And The Lord is saying, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And then in the NASB, it doesn't say this in the ESV, and I don't know why, but in the NASB and the King James and all the other versions, it says, the Lord goes, for I hate divorce. I hate hate divorce. That is what Jesus is looking at. That is what the writer of Scripture, Jesus, is thinking of. I hate divorce. It's why he he sets the parameters here in Matthew 5. Listen, only for adultery because I hate divorce. But then he goes on. And he says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. In other words, the writer Malachi is is prophesying. and, And what we're seeing here is that God looks at divorce as something violent because it's a tearing of the one flesh unity that God brought about, and what is so what is so sad and what is so oh i can't even think of a word to describe it how how not just evil and wicked but but how destructive divorce is that it's not just limited to an unbelieving world fifty more than fifty percent of the marriages of Christians end in divorce because these passages have been misinterpreted through the lens of our culture. And God is saying, I hate divorce. And yes, he is, he is providing a, a way because he knows the hardness of, of men and women's hearts. He knows of the, the rampant sin that can, can make its way into not only society, but in the church as well. And he understands. And so he provides this one way. And, and even this one way of, of adultery is not this automatic, they committed adultery, marriage is over. No, brothers and sisters, many marriages have been restored where adultery did occur. I mean, if you look through the, the Old Testament and you see God, God looks at his covenant people as this special relationship, as though he would look at a, a, a husband, would look at a wife. And we see that in the New Testament when Christ calls his church his bride. But when the people of God in Israel were unfaithful, God called them an adulterous nation. And yet, and he, and there's an entire, there's an entire book in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, that speaks about Israel's adultery in their idolatry and their faithlessness towards God. And yet it also speaks of God's mercy and forgiveness, because that's who God is. And that's why. That's why adultery does not have to end in divorce in our society. Now there are times when when you have a, a spouse that has been, in a sense, a serial adulterer and, and divorce is appropriate. But God hates divorce. And what God has joined together, he does not want man to separate. God did not command divorce, and he did not allow it for any cause. It was the scribes and Pharisees who were doing violence to God's word and doing violence to marriage. They wanted an easy way out of marriage. And so they used God's word to sinfully do do it. And, And do we not, does not our society do the same? Among believers, they use God's word to find a way out. And that's why we need to look at Jesus' view on marriage and divorce and remarriage. Jesus addresses marriage, divorce, and remarriage here in Matthew 5 by explaining the limitation of Deuteronomy 24 and going further back to Genesis 2, where God brought the man and the woman together, and they were one flesh. And while the scribes and Pharisees sought any reason for divorce— and where Moses said they could divorce for indecency, Jesus tells his listeners, God's standard is so much higher. So much higher. And if there's any reason, it's just one. And that is the reason of adultery. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul makes a point, and it is God's word, where if an unbelieving spouse chooses to abandon or desert or leave a believing spouse, the believing spouse is free to marry. But it's very narrow. It's, it's an unbelieving spouse that leaves, not the believing spouse. And so Jesus is giving us his perspective here, on marriage divorce and remarriage genesis 2 and matthew 19 clearly state god's intention for our marriages it's a relationship that is special to him and in god's eyes brothers and sisters in god's eyes and in our eyes until death do us part are not just traditional words in a marriage vow but a clear doctrinal truth on God's view, on Jesus' view of marriage. It's a lifelong commitment that is only severed by death. Or possibly because of, dis- of adultery. Listen, sin, sin creates problems in every marriage. So it's it's no surprise that more than half of those who marry today divorce. They believe, they believe a lie. They believe the lie that divorce is the easiest remedy to fix a difficult marriage. That's the remedy. And they use whatever excuses sound acceptable. And and sadly, it it is Christians I've heard this mostly from. I'm not happy in this marriage. I deserve to be happy and have a happy marriage. God wants me to be happy. I've fallen out of love. I married the wrong person. They're not the same person anymore. And on and on. And the deception is, we think that the problem (laughs) in our marriage is our spouse without realizing that we are the problem. Listen, reality teaches us that The sins we struggled with, let's say in a previous marriage, will simply resurface because we're still who we've always been. After 39 years in ministry, I have heard these reasons play out far too many times. Spouses have told me after separating and divorcing that it must have been God's will because they feel so happy now. By ending the marriage, Jesus says they're committing adultery. And if they remarry or their spouse remarries, they're both committing adultery. And Matthew 19 fills out these verses here in Matthew 5 and explains that, that what God intends for our marriage is that what God has joined together, let no man separate. Listen, having a good and happy marriage is not God's ultimate goal for our marriages. And nor should it be ours. Our marriages are to be so much more than happy there are to be a testimony, there are to be a declaration, a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we read about in Ephesians 5 22 and, and, and through 33. We are to imitate Christ in our marriages through our sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're we're to we're to demonstrate the gospel through sacrifice and giving of ourselves and sanctifying and cleansing and honoring and cherishing and in permanence and staying together. Listen, how how Jesus loves his church, loves you so much, and that is how we are to love our spouse. It's simply the gospel lived out. That's what your marriages are ultimately. Created for. He, listen, Jesus willingly lived in our world. He suffered and died for our sins so that our relationship with God might be whole. And that is the example for our marriages. (laughs) Whatever problems exist in your marriage right now, there is good news. There is good news. Jesus died for for our sins and he forgave us of our sins so that we can forgive particularly in our marriages when when you got married you married what was both attractive about your spouse and what is unattractive about your spouse you got the whole package and conflict exists because of what is unattractive in our spouses, and we often try to change that in our spouses. Demanding change, though, never works because we want it for the wrong reason. We want them to be like us, but they never will. We, we can often have in our minds an image about what our spouse is to be like, which is us. We want them to be like us. In essence, we want to recreate them in our image because we admire ourselves so much rather than allowing God to transform them into the image of Christ. Listen, when Meryl and I first got married, I was all about "Hey." let's do something every night and let's get with these friends and let's go there and let's do this. And come on, I want to go skydiving and come on, let's go do this. And, and all these things. And Marilyn's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, let's just, let's just hang back and let's have some time together in the house. And, and over time now, after 41 years of marriage, Marilyn's more the, come on, let's go out and do this. And let's go out and do that. And I'm like, you know, maybe you ought to hang home. And she just looked at me recently, recently. And she said, you know, you are boring. (laughs) gee honey i'm just like you (laughs) the reality of living in a fallen world is that marriage is hard because we are all sinners but our sin is not the last word Christ's transforming grace is if you are listen if you are more if you are more aware of your spouse's sins and shortcomings than you are of the grace of God in them, you're making a huge mistake. you will not see them as God sees them, and in your heart your dissatisfaction will grow and 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 from those those seeds will grow roots of of bitterness and leading to divorce and maybe even. Adultery, and I have seen it. We all need God's grace and God's help in our marriages, and we need the help of one another. That's what the church is for. So don't let your marriage suffer. If you are struggling today in your marriage, ask for help. It will take hard work to undo sinful patterns, yes, but you live in a community of like-minded people who want to see your marriage flourish and are here for you. So ask them for help. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, says this. How different is the biblical perspective? In God's word, marriage and love are for the tough-minded. Marriage is a commitment, and far from backing out when the going gets rough, marriage partners are to sort out their difficulties in light of Scripture. They are to hang in there, improving their relationship, working away at it precisely because they have vowed before God and man to live together and to love each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death separates them. Have you secretly considered divorce? I'm asking that question of you. Listen, God's Word and God's grace and God's Spirit wants to change that. Now, have you been divorced? God's forgiveness is wonderfully displayed in the Gospel. And He frees you from condemnation. And you no longer have to live under that condemnation. Brothers and sisters, Grace Church, Grace Church, exists for the glory of God. And he has brought us together as a church family to help one another, to serve one another, to come alongside of one another in these difficult times. So let us be there for one another. And if you are struggling in your marriage, see me, see Devin, see one of the deacons, or just go to a friend. But let us not be like the world. Let us be set apart. Let our marriages represent the glory of God. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us and reminds us and encourages us and empowers us to live for your glory. And thank you for the gift of marriage that you created, that we might live in harmony and care with one another. Oh, Lord, may the Marriages of Grace Church reflect the gospel we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.